Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. I want to welcome everybody who's showing up to the Refuge Recovery World Services Q&A monthly. We've thought of lots of different things, what we should, what we should call it, kind of the, the spirit of it is like a town hall where we can get together and communicate from different groups around the, around the world. Um, this is not a refuge recovery meeting. This is an interface with the nonprofit world services and, and the Sangha, the peer-led Sangha. So I am Noah Levine and I'll be leading the conversation, but we also have Vanessa and Russ, which are also board members. So, um, we are here at your service. Everything that we do in Refuge Recovery World Services is in the attempt with the intention to serve the Sangha and support the movement. Um, so with that, I will open the floor to any questions or topics that would like to be discussed. I'm hoping we can um, go through, I just wanna to touch base and go through a couple of uh, older questions from previous sessions so that we um, kind of stay on track and just keep the group informed on where we're at with, with um, these questions. So um, one of them was um, the, the group voting not to have abstinence requirements for service positions. Um, how much time does a person need to be abstinent? Sort of questions around that. And that's um, scheduled to go to a board meeting at the end of the month to be discussed. So we don't have an answer for that one yet. The other one was a lot of conversation around medicine assist, medically assisted treatment, medicine assisted treatment, MAT. Um, and so that's also going to the board as well at the end of the month. So we will have an answer, hopefully the next um, uh, Q&A session. But uh, the one, Noah, I'm gonna ask it again, cause you actually, we did come to a, um, an answer on this so you can speak on it. So I'll just ask the question uh, as it was. Is it okay to play music in meetings? Is music considered outside literature? What if it's just instrumental music? So we did discuss this uh, with the board of directors and have landed in, um, it's not okay to play music during refuge recovery meetings for um, the concern that if there's lyrics, it could be uh, you know, a message that would not be a welcoming message that would not be inclusive. And that it, the, the, the kind of lyrics are literature in some ways, you're kind of Music is a, a teaching in some ways, is, is, is a message. And so, um, although we're sure many people would play very uh, you know, wonderful music, uh, there's also opens the door to music that would not be uh, so wonderful for, for everyone and for the uh, inclusivity and, and uh, cohesion of the group. So no music, including um, instrumental music, because instrumental music, although it doesn't have the lyrics, uh, still the, the um, sort of energy created, you know, like uh, I think that often 
like I went to a refuge meeting and they were playing instrumental sort of meditation music, the sort of kind of shit you hear when you're getting a massage. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, I don't think it was probably offending anybody, but if we open the door to that, then somebody also could come in and play instrumental Slayer and, you know, and create, you know, which some people would love and other people would be like, oh, you know, this is not, um, not the not the welcoming uh, energy that I'm looking for. So, as a board, we've decided to please ask everyone to not play music during refuge recovery meetings. Of course, what happens before the meeting or after the meeting is not really our uh, per you know our, our role. Um, but my my own feeling and the board's feeling was no no music at refuge meetings, please. Richard, do you have a clarification question about that or something else? Something else. Okay. Um, did I answer that thoroughly enough, Vanessa? Yes, you did. Okay. Thank you. Richard, go ahead and jump in. Okay, thanks, Noah. Good to see everyone here tonight. Glad we have good attendance. My question, I have to put it in context. My question has to do with transitioning back into in-person meetings. I'm in a situation, I find myself in a situation of uh, helping to resurrect an old in-person meeting that went online during the pandemic. And that was fine. And now we're transitioning back into being in person locally. And some of our members that come regularly to the meeting, we're not participating online. Um, so they're not sort of up to date, if you will, of the changes that have happened within Refuge over this last 16 months. Plus we have new people as well. And um, I encountered this last week, some difficulties with one of our um, regular members in introducing the notion that maybe we have to uh, follow some of the guidelines that have been laid out from World Services as far as script, as far as officers, as far as uh, some of the protocols that we're following now and that I'm used to being online. And um, they're not being well received. Um, the feedback I'm getting is that um, the people that are used to the way things were 15 months ago, everything was fine then, the pandemic interrupted our flow and we're gonna go back to how things were. And anything else coming in uh, from World Services or anywhere else is unwelcome. Uh, it feels uh, like an imposition. Just leave us alone, we know what we're doing, um, we're fine. So I find myself in this curious position of, you know, being kind of in two worlds, being in the world of the, of the changes that we've been um, making within uh, refuge in the last period of time in all these different ways and kind of, uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, back to the future, you know, <laughs> going into some past uh, time bubble. Um, and at the same time, trying to go forward. So I feel a little um, uneasy. And um, 
I'd like to get some guidance about how to make this transition right. with old, old meetings coming back online, coming back in person, not online, coming back in person um, with old timers, let's say, I don't know what else to call them, that, you know, don't know, uh, haven't been kept, haven't kept up, if you yeah. will, about what we're doing. Uh, I guess I, that's the question, it is a question. All right, thanks. The only, um, you know, a couple of years ago, there weren't any essential elements to, to a refuge recovery meeting. There was, it was all sort of suggestions and uh, especially the previous board who then kind of, you know, said, um, not only are we not gonna tell you how to do it, we're actually gonna encourage you to do anything you want and read any literature you want and all of that stuff, right? So we have to have a lot of empathy for the people that have been around for a long time and have keep getting new messages um, from the board. Um, you know, so I, I think that a lot of patience and a lot of tolerance and a lot of uh, acceptance of, of the, the Sangha and you know, just that empathy with like, yeah, that's been a, a kind of a moving target. I like to think of it as evolution. And I, I encourage, you know, when you're talking about it in moving in, in meetings, that, that, that you know, the intention is or we're evolving, you know, as it says in the, you know, right in the like, kind of first couple of pages of the book, that you know, this is the sort of first attempt with every intention to learn and grow and change. And what we also know is people don't like change. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a hard thing for, for people. You get, we get set in our ways and we say, hey, I like the way it used to be and I don't, I don't like changes. Um, there's, you know, the, there's only really two pieces of from World Services perspective that aren't really negotiable. And that is that meetings are adhering to the essential elements. Um, and, you know, which is also the, the guiding principles, which is also the, um, the uh, you know, having the business meetings as is laid out in kind of how to have a refuge business meeting and, and uh, you know, the quorum and voting, like all of that stuff. It's not really, um, it's not something that groups can just decide not to do and still be a refuge recovery group. You know, at this point, we're uh, tightening uh, the the um, perspective a bit. We're not, we're not doing wild, wild west. Anybody can call themselves refuge and do anything they want. We want a unity. We want a consistency. We want that if you go to a refuge meeting, you, you're going to get meditations from the book. You're going to get reading from the book. You're going to get a format that, um, you know, maybe there's different formats and that's okay. Um, even though we've suggested updates to formats meetings don't have to do that. That's up to the group conscience. It's a lot of autonomy uh, and a lot of decisions that me meetings can get, but what they can't, meetings can make, but what they can't say is we're not going to adhere to the essential elements or we're not going to adhere to the guiding principles. Um, and unfortunately, any meeting that says we're not going to adhere to the essential elements or the guiding principles uh, is is not a refuge recovery meeting can't you know can't be a refuge recovery meeting um, by definition a refuge recovery meeting is based in these essential elements and these guiding principles uh, and any recovery support groups that choose to not do that of course every group has the right to do that but then they're no longer doing refuge recovery 
um, in this way. So, so um, you know, and I did speak with you a little bit about this, Richard. My, my sense is, um, you know, be gentle, be patient, be tolerant, be forgiving, uh, be understanding that, you know, people don't like change. And um, also, you know, you're a little bit of like, you know, what is that about shooting the messenger? Um, you know, it's not, you know, like the messenger often when you're the person who's like saying, hey, by the way, you might not even be aware of these essential elements, but there are now essential elements in refuge. And this meeting needs to also consider this and adhere to this. And, um, uh, you know, and you might get some pushback as you're experiencing. Uh, but my, my, you know, uh, my hope is that in these situations, you hang in there, you deal with it, you um, keep going back to the meeting and have that steady presence of, oh, I love refuge and I want refuge to be a healthy community that has unity in it. And, um, and this is what we're, you know, this is the direction that we're going. Thank helpful? you. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's helpful, Noah. Thank you. There's one specific item that uh, I would like to pull out and have a closer um, commentary on, and that has to do with the collection of money and uh, the election of a treasurer, because that's how this sort of thing kind of came to light. Um, my understanding of the collection of money is that it is up to the individual meetings to decide how they're going to... Um, distribute the money, uh, what they do with it. Uh, I don't know if that's just wide open that they can do anything they want with it or if there are guidelines about that. Um, but I think that there's some ideas at least about what in-person groups um, maybe should be doing with the money that's collected. And the other is the necessity for having a treasurer or not and how essential that might be. Uh -huh. There are some... Um... There are some clear guidelines about what to do with the money and the um, pamphlet around the treasurer's duties. Um, it's actually, you know, money that is collected in the name of refuge recovery uh, is the property of that refuge recovery group and can't just be done anything that, that people want with it. Um, it needs to be, you know, used only for the needs and expenses of that group. And, um, you know, and then once a prudent reserve is reached, then the encouragement is that that money is sent to Refuge Recovery World Services to support our nonprofit. Um, are you doing something, Vanessa? I'm just highlighting where it says, I'm just pointing to people to the resource. Would you rather I not share the no. screen while you do that? You can, you can do it, but it's not okay. coming up. Oh. Oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. Thank you. I, I will try and do the right thing this time. There you go. Thank you. So it's, I feel like it's really clear here. That these are duties, not just suggestions. And that, it, you know, that if you're a treasurer, that this is what you're committing to. So to, um, to carry this out a little bit further, uh, if the uh, group conscience at a business meeting decides that it sees no need to have a treasurer, 
it doesn't mean that those guidelines are not to be followed. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, I guess, I mean, what does that look like if they vote to not have a treasurer that the secretary is gonna do the, pay the rent? Well, some, somebody will have to do it, obviously, yeah. Right. But isn't that, can I, can I interject, doesn't that go against like our uh, principle of like rotating leadership and volunteer and service positions because if the secretary is deciding to be treasurer, then they didn't they de facto like just elect themselves? Doesn't isn't doesn't that kind of because you can't just elect yourself as secretary? I think he's he's saying that if there's a secretary and the and a business meeting and at the business meeting they say let's vote to not have a treasurer then I'm not sure who the responsibility, does it fall on the secretary then, Richard? Well, my understanding, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that there are two essential positions that need to be filled. One is the group rep and the other is the secretary. Am I correct by assuming that? Well, you know, this is in, in the kind of how to start a meeting literature, uh, there is the scenario where two people are starting a meeting two or three people are, you know, starting a meeting. And so, you know, one person is saying, hey, I'm gonna start a meeting, I'm the secretary. Uh, I've elected myself because I'm starting this meeting and I'm gonna do this for the first six months. And I got one other person who's gonna be the group rep, but since I'm starting the meeting, we don't really have a group or a sangha yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be the secretary and I'm gonna deal with the money for now until we get large enough. And when we get large enough, then we will have a, treasurer is, is the intention, is the spirit that we would hope. So it's a little confusing if it's a group that's more than two or three people that's saying, well, we have a large group, but we're choosing to not have a treasurer. That doesn't, doesn't really make sense. I'm with you on that. Um, again, it's not, it's sort of like the reverse, uh, it's not about shooting the messenger, but I'm just carrying the uh, experience of what I'm going through with this particular group. How, um, many, how many people are part of this group? Well, it depends on what you call part of. I mean, there are one, two, three, four, five, five regular members that come regularly. And then there are maybe a few uh, peripheral at this point, new, yeah. and maybe they will become core members in time. But they're just kind of coming in just to see what it's all about. And there was a vote about those five people had a vote and said, we don't want to have a treasurer. No, it actually didn't get that far. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the actual business meeting where this was coming up was disrupted by one of the members. We didn't get to continue the conversation. Okay. So um, feel free to go back to the next business meeting and, you know, report what we've heard here, which is that, yeah, of course, meetings need treasurers when there's, you know, money coming in, um, especially if there's somebody that's willing to do it. Well, there was, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll see where that goes. Okay. Thank you, Richard. All right. Thank you. I think uh, Zach is next. Hi, thanks, Noah. Um, I had a quick question. Let me see if I can figure out how to put my hand down here. Uh, somewhat related to the, the question about music. I don't want to jump back to that directly, but um, I guess more, more related to the idea of outside literature. Um, I found that sometimes in meetings, people will share quotes 
uh, from other Buddhist teachers or stories from a sutra or something like that, that um, are seemingly relevant to their recovery and, and even to the teachings of refuge in a way. Um, is that something that's out of bounds as well? Sharing it from memory or reading it? I've, I've seen both. Yeah. Um, reading it would not be, would be, you know, kind of against the kind of no, no other literature. Uh, you know, if somebody says, hey, you know, like, I remember this quote I heard from something and they're sharing it and what, how it's relevant to them. Um, my own sense is we're not going to police people's uh, shares <laughs> um, or, or make any rules about what people are. You know, we're not going to try to break freedom of speech. <laughs> um, you know, people can say what they say in meetings, but um, uh, it would be against that essential element to be sharing literature that wasn't uh, from our program. Got it. Makes sense. Even if it's great. And this is, you know, and somebody in this, I think at one point said, like, what about your other books? Can't we read out of your books? And I'm like, no, not my books either. No, you know, like, no, no, nothing but the refuge book for now. Now, at some point, we'll get the group reps together and we'll get, you know, more literature and, and we'll do conference approved and we'll, um, you know, we'll continue to communicate about this. But for now, let's just keep it with the book. Um, you know, let's just keep it with the refuge book for now. Makes sense. Helpful to clarify, though, that if there's some anecdote from memory or a story or, you know, something related. Then... That seems fine. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. Um, I think Sebastian is next. Yeah, what up? Uh, so I came in during the ask about the music thing. Glad that finally got clarified and it's out there. But I didn't catch, uh, you might have said it because I was late. Um, does that also include instrumental music? And um, my real question though has nothing to do with any of this stuff. It's just something I had on my mind for a while. It's been, I've heard it brought up a couple of times in meetings. Uh, so I'll use myself in ex as an example. I came to refuge for alcohol. I got a little bit over a year. Now, now that I'm in this process, whatever, now I'm actually looking at, um, you know, my food stuff, my food issues in February, started actually looking at that, noticing I have an issue with that, and uh, even some codependency. So what's my clean date? Like right now, I'm eligible to be group rep and secretary and all that stuff if I look at just my alcohol time. But if I look at my codependency time and, um, you know, uh, my food stuff, since it's just a, a couple months, if I look at that one, then I wouldn't be eligible for service. So I kind of wanted to uh, check in with you, see what your thoughts were for that. My sense is um, our uh, kind of abstinence clean date is based on our, our primary addiction and what we're, uh, you know, entering you know, and attending refuge about. So if it's about drugs and alcohol uh, and you're abstaining from that, then that is your, you know, um, time. Um, now, if at some point, like you are using yourself, uh, you're a year in or something, you're saying, okay, I'm sober for a year or however long. Um, and I, now I'm also acknowledging that I have an addiction to food or sex or gambling or something else. And I'm going to now create a bottom line behavior about that and um, start practicing abstinence around that. Then, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a secondary um, issue. Um, and I don't think we want to kind of go to so strict that we say, well, you're 
20 years sober, but you had a relapse in your food program. So you can't be uh, of service anymore because you broke a bottom line behavior on your secondary addiction. Uh, I think on some level, we need to keep it to primary with of course encouragement to maintain abstinence from you know, the bottom line behaviors. Um, and I know that this is an issue, especially for um, you know, the way that our guiding principle number four is written is, you know, as long as you're abstaining from all recreational drugs and alcohol, um, you can maintain service positions um, and process addiction bottom lines. So I think it's the um, drugs and alcohol, the recreational drugs and alcohol that we need to be most um, have most integrity around, you know, but also, of course, you know, there's so many people utilizing refuge for eating, food, sex, uh, other, other process addictions. We don't want to um, dismiss that people establish and maintain abstinence in those process addiction uh, recoveries also. Um, So I hope that's clear. I feel like what I'm saying is, as long as you're staying sober because you're coming in as an alcoholic, um, you can maintain your service position. And if you're coming in uh, with a process addiction and are relapsing into your process addiction and that's your primary, or if you're coming in with a process addiction and you're drinking or using recreational, then you can't hold a service position. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. It's, I feel like this is really tricky. It's one of the really tricky parts of saying, yeah, we're for everyone, for everything. Um, and of course, like, not that it's easy to stay off of drugs and alcohol, but abstinence on some level uh, is clearer when it's, you either, you, know, I, you either drink or you don't drink, you either do or you don't. It's, it, it gets a bit more challenging when you get to have to set your own bottom line behavior. And then also you, you can choose to change those uh, bottom line behaviors before the action, not after, right? Yeah. Bottom line behavior isn't like, well, you know, I had said I wasn't gonna eat sugar, but I'm gonna change that after I already did. <laughs> um, so it's, it's no, that's cool. I was getting my bottom line set up and, you know, uh, I want to make sure that, you know, I could still be of service, even though that's new. And I've, a couple other people have asked me the same. I actually, somebody asked me about that first because they were in a similar situation. And I was like, oh, shit, I just set some bottom lines for myself, too. So does that mean I got to step back from them? So uh, I know some people had those questions. Out there. I'm sure it doesn't come up super often, but, you know, something I dealt with and a couple other people dealt with. So. That would be a good uh, opportunity to ask about that. You know, I, I feel more passionately about um, drugs and alcohol, partially because I, you know, substance abuse is my history, but also because this is the Buddha's teaching. His, his teaching, in order to really utilize this Buddhist path, the fifth precept, whether you're an addict or not an addict, whether you're an alcoholic or a food addict, whatever manifestation of addiction or no manifestation of, of addiction, the Buddha says in order to use this path, one must maintain abstinence from all recreational drug and alcohol. This is the fifth precept of Buddhism. So I feel more strongly that, that we, you know, refuge has to be this 
uh, abstinence-based program. Um, and of course, we wanna support and encourage abstinence from bottom line behaviors that are causing us suffering. Hope that's helpful. Uh, Robert, looks like you're next. Thank you. Hi, Noah. Thanks for being here tonight. This is a subliminal message about perhaps some additional literature that we'll get together and write someday when we expand on our guiding principles. But that's not a question. I couldn't totally uh, see that. Is that the 12 by 12? It, it's the NA guiding principles book. Okay, NA, yeah, yeah. Um, it, which is the equivalent to the 12 and 12. Um, I'm curious about how collecting Dana works, Donna works in a, um, an in-person meeting. Cause I'm hoping to start an in-person meeting here in the Northwest corner of Litchfield. And I got a nice note from Rebecca today and she urged me to ask this question cause I am uh, a totally online refuge participant so far. So I've never been to an uh, in-person meeting. Um, so about collecting it or what to do with it? Uh, I mean, I'll give you a quick- how, So I, I, my, my, my question is how, is, how does the treasurer deal with that money? Obviously they don't just carry cash around and send cash to, to world services um, or hand cash to the, the place that um, you know, is, is giving space for the, for the meeting. So I'm wondering whether people set up bank accounts um, or how, how that works. You know, this is something that we've been talking about for years now. Um, uh, in you know, in the twelve-step world, people are have been doing this for over eighty years, and some people do actually set up a bank account um, for that meeting, especially when it's a large, you know, kind of ongoing meeting, um, and that there is a, a bank account and gets deposited, and the rent gets paid, and the donations get made to World Services. So that is an option. Um, it's a the tricky thing about the setting up a bank account is then changing you know the the name on that bank account over to the next treasurer six months or you know later so i think that generally what is being done is that people are taking the cash they're depositing it then they're writing a check for the rent you know to whomever or these days i don't think many people are writing that many checks they're depositing it they're sending a venmo or a paypal or whatever it is to to the rent and then when the excess um uh, money, you know, and there's a prudent reserve, a couple months of rent is saved, then they start sending the excess money to world services. Um, I think that that's practically how it's done. Usually, I think it is people kind of putting it in their own. And then likewise, you know, if you're a secretary, and you've been uh, or a um, treasurer, and you've been doing it for six months, and you have the prudent reserve, uh, and then someone else is elected, and you have the two or $300, whatever your prudent reserve is, sitting there in your account, then you pass it on to the new treasurer and they hold on to it and it keeps getting passed on like that. This is, you know, this is the really tricky part of a peer-led, donation-based, nonprofit. Um, uh, where does, you know, who holds on to the money? So there's a lot of trust in the treasurer and a lot of accountability on the shoulder of the treasurer, but that makes perfect sense. It's really yeah. helpful. Thank you. Welcome. Misty, go ahead. I didn't officially put my hand up, but um, I think it's fair to mention that um, at our in-person meeting, we've also bought books with that money, cushions for the Sangha that, because uh, we, uh, cushions for, for each other. Um, 
and we just kept it in an envelope. But I think it's important to have literature on hand. And yeah, it is, it is kind of a responsibility for the treasurer, but like, you know, there, if you don't keep it, if you keep it low by buying literature and then sending it to world services, I mean, you're looking at a hundred bucks, but I think, I think there should, and, and, and our song guy, we definitely have, we have this much money. We bought five cushions and, you know, a box of books and it's definitely um, kept track of. That's all I was yeah. kind of wanting to say. Yeah. And there should be a treasurer's report at the uh, monthly business meeting. So. Um, Vanessa, go for it. So I'm going to kind of combine mine and Kelsey's because uh, we're kind of on the topic of money here. So Kelsey in the chat window says, uh, asks, are there any accounting or reporting duties requirements from the treasurer? And I guess I would ask for clarification, Kelsey, do you mean to the group or to world services? Both and. Okay. Either. So the answer would be yes on reporting to the um, to the group. We need to probably we're going to be amending some of our um, documentation about how to run a business meeting. But as part of the in-person um, giving a financial report would be part of the business meeting. Um, and and then I don't know the answer to the other one, Noah. And then I have an I have a question. Um, I mean, at this point, we don't have any system set up to ask all of the meetings to report to us their finances. Uh, it might be a thing that we could do at some point of like have something, a, a secretary, some spreadsheet, some, some form that secretaries, um, you know, fill out on the website or something to report what the meetings are doing. But uh, I think we're a bit more hands-off than, than that. And, and, you know, there's just a lot of trust, you know, there's just a lot of like hoping that people will have integrity around around this stuff. And we also are of course aware that um, there will be theft, you know, and that uh, money will be stolen. And there's not a lot that we can do about that, you know, kind of with all of our teachings on karma and generosity and integrity, uh, hopefully there'll be less of that. Um, but um, of course it happens. People walk away with treasurer, treasuries and recovery groups that happens. And then my question is, in the book, it says that we will have fiscal transparency. When will we be able to see how the money donated to refuge recovery is spent? Have we, um, have we ever? One time, so I brought this up in an in a older meeting, like when we had the little town hall in the past on the last administrator or the last board. And I, I really wanted to see the transparency because you know we're nonprofit peer led. Right. And um, so Joseph did send out an email breakdown of kind of where things went just to kind of, um, but yeah, in the book, it does say that we will have those. those as a, as a, um, as a nonprofit, as a 501c3, aren't our uh, taxes or whatever public record. So anybody that wanted to look could look. Is that right, uh, Russ, or anybody knows, is that? Yes, that's true. Yeah. So in that way, there's transparency if people actually, you know, do the thing to kind of look at it. I'd be happy for us to do an, an annual, uh, when we do our taxes at the end of the year, you know, kind of break it down and say, this is what came into Refuge this year. This is where it, what went out and where it went. And um, we could do that in a sort of annual, one of the, the year-end newsletters. 
we haven't done our taxes yet for 2020. I'm, I'm actually getting them done now. So when that's done, happy to share it with the Sangha. Thank you. I do have more questions if you need them, if anyone else doesn't. So let me know. Is there a hand? Oh, it looks like you and Sebastian. Sebastian, jump in. Cool. Me and Vanessa could take turns then if nobody else wants. <laughs> I got a list. Uh, let's see. This one. Uh, kind of fictitious, but it's just kind of a way for me to see where we go with these essential elements. So I'm going to make up a fake meeting at my meeting um, over here for uh, the Crenshaw Manor meeting of refuge recovery. We voted to uh, not follow the essential elements. We're going to lead our own meditation. And um, we're not going to have any rotating leadership and stuff like that. Um, Vanessa's already sent me an email. I've already talked to you about it. You guys have been really kind and understanding and approaching me by teaching, but I keep checking in with them and we keep voting that we're not going to do it. So is it still cool? Uh, what, what's going to happen to us? Uh, do we still get to use your Zoom meetings and stuff like that? Um, the answer is no. You can't be a refuge meeting if you're not willing to follow the essential elements and um, you will promptly be removed from the listing. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> Michelle and then Misty. Kind of sort of along those lines, because like, what is the procedure for if someone isn't following the essential elements? Like we're peer led, so we police and sure I get the, the idea of being the bad guy or shoot the messenger, but what if the, re what if the reception is a big F you? What now? from an individual or from a group conscience well if let's say they're they're doing meditations that aren't supposed to be being done or they're doing readings that aren't approved literature then then what or let's say someone's playing music and you say hey this is now a thing where you're not supposed to be playing music and they just decide to continue to do it right and what you know kind of what I said to Sebastian, like all, all we can really do is whether we list meetings or not. Uh, my own sense is like, yes, everything that I said before around the music and like we wanna create unity, we wanna create uh, consistency, but also we don't wanna be police, you know? And like if people are breaking some rules, like I feel, a I feel personally, I feel pretty relaxed about it. Uh, I'm hoping that the Sangha will kind of support itself and that people will keep bringing it up at the business meetings and saying, you know, we, are, we aren't really following the essential elements and maybe we should. And, um, you, know, and, and, you know, Sebastian's example was blatant enough that is like, yeah, that, that one can't be a meeting, <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, somebody, like there's this wonderful meeting uh, that I went to down in um, San Clemente. There's this huge meeting. There's like, you know, 60 to 100 people there. And there, a lot of them are new and in treatment and it's an in-person meeting and they play music at it. And they, you know, and it was never against the rules to play music. Like it had never really been addressed until 
now it's being uh, but i'm i'm not gonna go and be like well you guys if you won't stop playing that massage therapy music but then we're gonna shut you down like i'm you know Refu world services is just not gonna do that it'll you know eventually kind of seep in that like oh we're not really supposed to do that maybe we shouldn't the reasons you know are you know good reasons for inclusion and for you know access to everybody and not opening the door to all kinds of different music and so i i think we need to trust the sangha a lot and also it's there you know there is something to being that messenger that says you know this is against the essential elements just so that you know and if people are like, you know, super blatant and super at some point and it becomes to the point where it's not really refuge anymore, then it's not refuge anymore. All right. Yeah. So soft line, not hard line. I think so. I think with all of this all right. stuff, let's be gentle and let's be kind and let's be patient and let's be generous with each other and let's not come down hard and, you know, uh, too fundamentalist about it. Like, you know, we have these you know, what we're trying to create with the essential elements and the guiding principles are like, you know, uh, some sort of scaffolding for sanghas to really build their own beautiful community in. And it, we don't, it doesn't need to be cookie cutter and it doesn't need to all be the same, but like, here's some, you know, here's some boundaries. <laughs> Addicts don't like boundaries, <laughs> but here's some boundaries. And, you know, and then like, you know, find your way and, and create a beautiful community within this structure. All right, thank you. That does answer my question. Okay. I think you called on me next, but you, answered, you answered the question with, with, with what both you of them. said. Yeah, okay. Let me know if you want one. Anybody, what is it, Bueller, anybody? Oh, we got two. Cat. Hi, thank you. Um, so I have a question. I rep for a meeting and uh, we had a business meeting and the person wanted to us to vote for us to have a pause at the end of the sharing portion of the meeting. Um, and they, what, how they described it was they thought that it would be nice to have like a guided one or two minute pause. And so as group rep, I didn't know if this was um, something that was even votable um, or something that, you know, was inside the refuge, refuge recovery guidelines. So I just wanted to bring it to the table here. So we tabled that for the, our next business meeting. So I just wanted to bring that up and just see what everyone's thought was or what the board's thought on that was. The, the request is to put in the script, the meeting script, that at the end of the meeting before the uh, offering of merit that there's two minutes of silence. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Before like announcements, like after, like directly after the sharing portion of the meeting. Kat, can I, can I chime in? Because I was in that meeting too. I think what they uh, wanted- it, it was, oh, I'm sorry, Vanessa. It wasn't, I don't know if it is the same one. It's another meeting on Thursday morning. Is that oh. the one you met? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Wow. So people want pauses in both of your meetings. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know the one that you're talking about. So yeah. it's coming up. 
um, as something. So I just wanted to know what everyone's thoughts were well, on that. And maybe we can merge the two issues since if it is coming up in both meetings. So there's the instance that Kat was speaking about and then the meeting that I was in, um, what was what was going up for a motion was they wanted a, um, a pause written into the script after after the reading. So like, you know, after someone reads, we pause like an intentional pause for a while to digest what was just read before people share on it. Yeah, and this one that I'm talking about was the same kind of thing where they wanted people to have a chance to digest shares. So it's kind of the same thing, just different meeting and different um, kind of thing. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm open to, um, you know, other people's uh, interpretation, but my initial thought is there's, I don't see any reason why not. I don't think that's against the essential elements or guiding principles or uh, nothing wrong with a little bit of more meditative uh, quiet in meetings. I don't, I don't see, you know, if the, if the group wants that and there's a group conscience, this is like, I feel like the group should have the freedom to put that into the script. No problem. That's my opinion. I don't know uh, Vanessa or Russ or anybody else sees a reason why that would be somehow against our principles. As my understanding of it is that we can kind of add little things, but that's how you get that flourishing meeting, right? So it doesn't, if it doesn't go against the essential elements guiding principles, then that should be okay. And so in the meeting I sat in, it seemed completely above board to take group conscience on that and vote accordingly you know so seems fine to me okay thank you thank you all sebastian go for it are you sure you don't want to go vanessa's way i want to make sure i get a vote people time i got like i want to go if sebastian's <laughs> double if sebastian's triple dipping yeah I'm i feel like i'm getting seconds him. Because well, actually, I'm gonna okay. Uh, let me just ask this real quick, okay? Because this is one that I, I really want the answer for. Because I keep hearing this one: Can my family or friends who are not refugee recovery members come to meetings with me? Are the meetings open to all? And you know, the same—it's the same thing. Because there's a lot of students that come to our meetings uh, who aren't necessarily members. So, what 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 do we think about that? Well. What I think is that um, all refuge recovery meetings at this point are open meetings, open to all, uh, not just, you know, to be, you know, the, there's the guiding principle about membership, which is, you know, and the only qualification for membership is a desire, desire to, to stop uh, our addiction. But attendance at meetings, I think they're all open meetings. Now, I also think, so I think the answer is yes, family, friends, uh, students, you know, auditing, all of that. We're not anonymous. We don't have the anonymity issues. We're not, um, so there's, there's no reason why, uh, but it also would be okay for a group to take a group conscience to say, we want this to be a closed meeting only for addicts. And then we could start, you know, in our, um, you know, listings, we could start opening, you know, listing open meetings and closed meetings. We haven't done that yet. We've never gotten there, but we can get there. We can get to the place where we say, yeah, these are, there's closed meetings. Your group can choose to be a closed meeting for addicts. 
That's my sense. But since you haven't chosen that yet, let your little sister come to the meeting. <laughs> you know, whoever it is, let them come. Russ, did you have a question or a comment on something that's been said? Just a comment. Uh, I have seen people excluded from meetings for very good reasons, which you will all understand when I say what they are. We've had paparazzi come to meetings uh, because of celebrities being at the meetings and we don't allow them in, obviously. And we've had, uh, I wasn't present for this one, but there was someone who came to East Hollywood meeting and they said, oh, are you new to Refuge? Yeah. And so what brings you to Refuge? And he said, I just wanna meet Batman. Because <laughs> there, there was a celebrity at the meeting and they asked him to leave. And I think that probably is consistent with our responsibility to give privacy to those who want it. Um, it's not an anonymous program, but at the same time, I don't know that, you know, having just people who don't have good intentions at all who want to invade privacy, maybe it's not a good idea to let them in the meeting. Yeah. Thought. Yeah, it gets gets tricky. Gets tricky when you start tell, kicking people out of meetings. Um, you know, of course, if there's disruptive behavior or any of that, like if people are taking photographs, that's disruptive, you know, uh, but uh, gets tricky. So I think World Services stance needs to be uh, all are welcome and they're not closed meetings. Um, and uh, we don't, we don't, we're not going to have door people saying, what is your intention? Why are you here? <laughs> and, you know, the celebrities have to take care of their, their themselves. We're not going to try to protect the celebrities from gawkers wanting to be in the meeting with the celebrity. I mean, and it's okay for people to have, you know, private and closed meetings, you know, like in 12-step programs, there's lots of, and since I live in LA, you know, I'm very aware that there's lots of like celebrity 12-step meetings that are like invite only. And, you know, if, if people wanted to do that in refuge, they could do that too. Thanks. Yeah. Um... Where was I? Vanessa, Sebastian, Richard? Go for it, Richard. Okay, thank you. Um, so I have a um, question and perhaps a request. Um, has there ever been an opportunity for us to meet personally, all the members of the board? What do you mean like, by like, like interact with them? Uh, you mean like in person or like to do a Zoom? Like a Zoom, yeah, like a Zoom. Um, maybe, but why, Richard? Well, I'd like to. I'd like to meet them. I'd like them to come to a, one of our meetings, maybe this forum or another one, in order to um, say hello and to find out who they are. You know, personally, I, I've read the bios but I'm wondering if it would be possible to do that at some point. Um, it might be possible. We can certainly invite them. Um, but I also have a bit, little bit of a feeling of, um, I don't know, you ever met the board of directors for Alcoholics Anonymous? 
Um, I've worked for nonprofits for 20 years and I've met the members of the boards of all the organizations I've worked for. Uh-huh. I, I, I get it. Um, you know, all of the people on the refuge board are engaged in, in refuge. So you may see them at meetings or, you know, some of them may, you know, come, come to this at some point, but um, I'm not sure that that's uh, something I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to it as a request and I'm happy to pass it along to the board, but I don't know that it's, it's really necessary. I hear that it's your desire. Yeah, if it's possible, sure. Happy to happy to pass it along. Great, thank you. Yeah. Sebastian, jump in. All right, I got a, I still got a bunch left, but I'll throw an easy one at you. Uh, why are there two sections of meditations in the book? The first section of meditations were meant for self guidance, so that someone can read those and guide them through their own practice. Uh, the second section was meant as a script to be read out loud at meetings in order to uh, guide others. So one is, you know, to read and, and learn and guide yourself. And the other is to, to guide people in the, as a script. And um, most of them made it over to the second section, but I did fail to um, create a script for the forgiveness meditation, which is so wild because all through the book, I'm like, do the forgiveness meditation. Every other day, do the forgiveness meditation. And then I forgot to transcribe it into a script. Um, and then there's the, what, the four elements and the body parts and some of the first foundation of mindfulness, the corpse, those, there, I think there's th the other three parts of the, that I didn't turn into scripts for the meeting. Um, but what that uh, actually Sebastian is helping me and has uh, done some edits to create some scripts for the four elements and the body parts and the corpse meditation. Is there a second part of that question or, or another one? I do got more, but I saw Robert put his hand up. So I want to make All sure right. everybody else gets a chance. Okay, Robert. Thank you, Sebastian. Just just about the new version of the book that I hear is happening. Um, if that's true, I just want to put in a plug for putting the guiding principles in there. Not only so people can can read them without going to another source, but just because they're such a central and integral part of the program at this point. And maybe that's already been thought of. I'm assuming it has, but I just want to put in a plug for it. Yeah, thank you, Robert. I. I'm pretty sure they'll make it into the second edition, um, at least as a sort of like, this is what they are. I think that I am gonna actually create a guiding principles book at some point that is a, the long form uh, kind of, here's the guiding principle, here's why we created it, where it came from, what it's meant to you know serve in the community and so I think that will be actually a separate book that we can self-publish at some point. Anybody else other than Sebastian or Vanessa that might have a question that you kind of want to ask, but you're feeling a little bit shy? Kelsey. Hi, Noah. Um, I heard that the you might be addressing MAT 
today? Is there maybe more definitive answer on that for people who hold service positions? We're going to have a board meeting on the 28th. Okay. In two weeks, we're having a board meeting and that is on the docket. Great. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So um, Sebastian and Vanessa, you can both ask one more. Go for it, homie. I got uh, one that came up the other day. Um, I heard Noah Levine gets paid. I, I do get paid. I am the acting executive director. This is actually, I don't know how many months now since Joseph left, um, right, right around when he was leaving. Uh, it was the first time that we're seven years into refuge recovery, and I never received any money from refuge recovery until the last six months as I've actually stepped in, it's not even six months, as I actually stepped in as the executive director. Uh, and now that I am acting executive director, I'm getting paid to do all of this executive director work. Are those records gonna become available? What, how much money is being allocated? Yeah, sure. So the same, I mean, we answered that already. That Yeah, but that will be part. So I, you know how I just refer to these answers later to other people. So I just want to make sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. It'll, it's all, all public. All, and you, you gave, all public. you gave the book to Refuge Recovery, correct? The book Refuge you wrote? Refuge Recovery World Services is the owner of the um, copyright of the book and also the uh, trademark of the symbol of the diamonds and the circle belongs to the, no longer belongs to me personally, belongs to the nonprofit, belongs to World Services. So what is that free PDF roaming around all about of the book? Um, theft. Got it. Yeah, that's just people who have pirated and are stealing it from the publishing company and are stealing it from world services. So we're not authorized to- it is not, it is not freely offered. It has been stolen. Like everything that, you know, you download for free that isn't supposed to be for free. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Sebastian, last one, do it. All right, so I'm gonna go back to some tougher stuff then, I guess. So this is stuff, again, I've been asked by different secretaries um, as I go around there. They both have, both scenarios have to deal with the share. Uh, question like how we should handle it if people are doing some sort of Dharma teaching during their share. Uh, and another thing that's come up is maybe some sort of like stereo, uh, racial stereotyping during their share, like something along the lines of, you know how those people are type of things and uh, kind of going crazy with that. So, you know, as being a secretary, maybe a group rep in there, or is there anything they should be doing to step in? Do they just let it go? Um, what are your thoughts on that? If someone's being disruptive to the meeting, then it's appropriate for someone to step in, whether that's the secretary or the uh, group rep or just somebody in the sangha 
to kind of speak up and say like, this is not okay. <laughs> if it's disruptive, if it's creating disharmony in the group, um, it's okay to kick people out of meetings. It's, you know, like if it's blatant, if somebody is just wanting to play meditation teacher and give a sermon to the Sangha, <laughs> I don't think we need to shut them down. Uh, you just let them, you know, let them get their three minutes or whatever the time, you know, and then, you know, ring the bell or whatever it is. Um, if somebody is being, you know, racist or, I, I don't know, my, my sense is that, uh, you know, it would be okay for someone in the meeting to be like, that's not fucking okay. You don't kick somebody out of the, Sangha for their ignorance, but it is okay to um, speak up um, and to police ourselves. And it's not World Service's job, it's the Sangha's job. And, you know, I've been in lots of meetings, recovery meetings, where somebody's being super inappropriate and somebody stands up and says, like, hey, not cool, <laughs> you know, and just like it's okay to do that. Um, uh, but we have to be careful here. Uh, we don't want, I don't want uh, to impinge on people's freedom of speech. Uh, we don't want to impinge, we don't, we don't want to, um, uh, you know, people, there's, uh, you know, a kind of common, more and more common thing happening where people say, uh, I feel unsafe. Um, we're not, um, you know, of course, we want sanghas to create as much safety and cohesion and you know, uh, inclusion as possible, but uh, we're not going to have the bar, you know, we don't want to have the bar that it's like, well, I don't know how to speak in a way that makes everybody feel safe. I just got out of prison and I'm trying to get sober, right? And we don't want to kick that poor ignorant me 30 years ago out of the meeting because I don't know how to talk nice yet, <laughs> right? And so we don't want refuge to become too uh, uptight about speech. We want people to feel welcome and to feel included and to feel tolerated, you know, rather than uh, canceled because you don't know, you're not, you know, you don't have wisdom yet. You don't have right speech yet. You know, keep coming back, keep, keep doing it, keep being mindful, you know, keep doing this. And, you know, all of our speech will change drastically over the years of our recovery. And we don't want to hold people to too high of a standard. So both and. Totally okay to shut people down sometimes. And also okay to tolerate ignorant speech sometimes without rushing people, you know, alienating people that are sick addicts looking for help. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. It's a both and answer. That's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Vanessa, did you want to do a clarification? Well, I, I, I think you kind of addressed it, but I, I, this, this was a real, and I'll make it real fast, but um, I was facilitating a meeting once someone was in the meeting. They were very, very angry, very upset about something, not at anything in particular in the meeting, but there was a lot of rage in their share. And I was getting a lot of private messages. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. And I didn't impinge on this person's share because it wasn't really violating any of the rules. They were just very aggressive. And so I, 
it was hard in that moment because I had to choose, like, there were like three people saying they weren't safe, but then there was this person. So, I mean, I don't know if I did the right thing or not, but I'm like, okay, there's no, no one's cross talking or attacking someone or he was just upset. Yeah. Yeah. My sense is that we have to um, make room for that. You got to make room for rage. And I like Kelsey's note in the um, chat that says in social, a lot of social justice circles, we say brave spaces instead of safe spaces because no one can guarantee safety. And that like, uh, hopefully, you know, that there's a practice of being brave when you're stepping into a refuge meeting because somebody might be pissed off and that's okay, you know, like to also vent that. We don't have to, um, don't gotta be perfect yet. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.